Let's begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Uh, We'll continue with our hymn of the month. May God bestow on us his grace. May God bestow on us his grace with blessings rich provide us. And may the brightness of his face to life eternal guide us that we his saving help may know his gracious will and pleasure and also to the nation show Christ's riches without measure and unto God convert them thine And thanks of every nation And all the world with joy Shall raise the voice of exultation For thou shalt judge the earth, O Lord Nor suffer sin to flourish Thy people's pasture is thy word, their souls to feed and nourish in righteous paths to keep them. Oh, let the people praise thy worth in all good works increasing. The land shall bless, yes, fruit bring forth thy word is rich in blessing. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit bless us. Let all the world praise him alone. Let Solomon possess us. Now let our hearts say Amen. All right. Uh, We'll continue with the uh, catechism and Bible memory work. So we're still in the table of duties. And this is the the Bible uh, verses for children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Ephesians 6, 1-3.
moment. We'll continue with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And Luther's morning prayer, I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things, let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless us and keep us. Amen. All right, uh, kids can go off to Sunday school. And then, um, I've already talked about the hymn quite a bit. We've already gone through all three stanzas. So uh, unless anyone has any questions on that hymn of the month, We'll kind of put that one to rest uh, for the last Sunday of the month. That is a Luther hymn, like I said. And today in church, uh, since it's Reformation Day, we're singing all Luther hymns. So um, I thought that would kind of just be something different and kind of fun. So all the hymns that we're going to sing today, uh, including this one here in Bible study, and then all the hymns during the service today are hymns written by Martin Luther. So um, when you're singing all the hymns, you can... Think about how uh, talented of a hymn right he was, and um, also the, the, the treasure of hymnody we have in the Lutheran church. Um, not just from Luther, but from all sorts of great hymn writers. So uh, the catechism work uh, is pretty straightforward. Uh, Paul here in Ephesians 6 uh, simply quotes Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, where... Uh, which are where the Ten Commandments are recorded in Scripture. Uh, honor your father and your mother. And he points out, this is the, he, he interrupts the quote from Exodus 20 and says, hey, by the way, look, this commandment is the first one with a promise. So if you read Exodus 20, it starts out talking about, you shall have no other gods, don't make any, and included in that, don't make any graven images to the Lord your God. Uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it. It goes through the whole first table of the law. And then uh, when he gets to the second table of the law, the fourth commandment, honor your father and your mother, God attaches this promise to uh, the that commandment, the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. That's from Exodus 20. Um, and the way Paul quotes it here, uh, that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And uh, so a couple couple things about that. One, there are promises that come with following God's law. And that doesn't sound very Lutheran, right? Because uh, the in Lutheran theology, we like to talk about grace alone and how... Um, when we think about God's promises, we tend to think more gospel than law. And that's that's all good. And we're also very skeptical of um, 
you know, kind of the Joel Osteen prosperity gospel, which says, um, you know, if you just have enough faith, if you just do enough of the right good works, do enough of the right things, then um, you're going to be, you know, rewarded in some kind of material way. And we want to say, well, no, God doesn't promise that, right? Sometimes God blesses through suffering. And so um, we there's no guarantee in this life that if we just, uh, you know, follow God's laws, then we're going to be, uh, you know, healthy and happy and, and wealthy and all that. Um, we might very well follow God's laws and suffer for it, be persecuted for it. So we have to balance those things out. But the way that this works in that there are some promises of blessing that come along with following God's law like this, that you may live long in the um, enjoy long life on the earth when you honor your father and your mother is that when we look at God's law, what we're looking at is a reflection of God's good creation. Right. God's law is his will for the way that he for the creatures that he made and the way that he made his whole creation. In other words, when he makes creation, right, when he makes uh, the heavens and the earth and all the creatures, um, he orders them. Right. They're, they're done in a specific order uh, in the six days of creation, and uh, they're made to all function in a certain way. Right. Everything is made cohesively. God doesn't make mistakes. Um, it's made to work a certain way. And uh, so this is kind of like Romans 1. But anyhow, when you conform your life to the way that God designed you, right, things tend to go better. Um, so the, with the fourth commandment, this is very simple. Uh, is a household happier and more uh, cohesive and well-ordered? And less chaotic when the children honor their father and their mother. Of course it is, right? Um, of course it is easier for everybody if the kid just cleans up when he's told uh, rather than throwing a temper tantrum about it, right? Because what does is, what is the rebellion against parents lead to? Well, it leads to discipline, which leads to pain and uh, on, on both parties' accounts. And... Things just are more difficult. Thing, there's more division. Um, so, of course, there's more unity and things work better. Um, creation itself works better when you follow God's law. And when more, the more people that follow God's law, the better creation all works together. And so God's law does have um, these promises that, that things will simply work better um, and – you can think of this a long life too. Uh, when when you work with your body according to creation, right, um, and and live in ways that are healthy according to God's creation, then then things simply go better for people, right? Um, when people fall into uh, ways of life that are contrary to God's creation and contrary uh, to moral living, then there are natural punishments that go along with it. So again, Romans 1, right, when Paul talks about homosexuality, he says they're, they're naturally punished in their own body for the acts that they do. Um, and so we can always kind of keep that in mind. 
uh, that we're not when we follow God's law, we we can't um, on one hand say that we're going to earn blessings, right? Because God doesn't need our good works, and it's up to God to bless us. However, when we follow God's law and we conform our lives to His good will, uh, then we can expect things to naturally go better for us in certain ways. You know, like I said, there might be persecution, there might be suffering, and maybe that's one of the ways that God is blessing us because a father chastises those whom he loves. Um, but we can't expect uh, certain blessings. The other passage that just came to mind is uh, with stewardship, right? Um, in Malachi, when we, we went over this when we were talking about our stewardship stuff, but when when God tells the people, uh, he's and, and Malachi prophesies, you know, you've been robbing God by not bringing in the full tithe. And God says, just try and bring in the full tithe. Just bring in the full tithe and see what blessings I rain down on you. Just see what happens. See what blessings I rain down on you. Right. So um, it's not that this. It's not that our good works are causing God to send us blessings, but that we are naturally going along with the way that God made things, and that and that by nature brings blessings. If that. It's a fine line, but it, maybe that distinction kind of makes sense. All right, any questions on that? All right, so um, I'm taking a detour. Uh, decided this last week while I was uh, thinking about Sunday that uh, even though I just got back on track with Bible history, I was going to take another detour. Um but two years ago, we talked about on Reformation Sunday, and then I think the following Sunday, uh, just kind of a brief history of the Reformation and Martin Luther and the Lutheran Church. And um, I didn't do that last year. And we talked a little bit about the Lutheran Confessions uh, back on Lutheranism 101 on a Wednesday night when we started that. Um, but I thought, you know, it's been a while since we've done some, like, Luther and Lutheranism, uh, specifically kind of Reformation type of material in a while. And we'll do it again. We'll do uh, some more Reformation stuff in Lutheranism 101 on Wednesday night if you come to that. Um, but it is a bit of a different crowd. So anyway, I thought I'd basically do what we did two years ago um, because I, I looked back at it and I didn't remember some of it. So I figured that uh, most people probably didn't remember all of it. So um, it's always good to kind of review uh, this question, where where are we from? Where did we come from? And so that's what I want to talk about today. I want to do Reformation history, and it might take two weeks, but then we'll get back on track with um, Bible history. But I think it's worth it to, to kind of we, – we have this festival every year of the Reformation um, for a reason – and it's important to think to remember where we where we're from, and at least on an annual basis, I think that's that's good. Of course, we'll do a little bit of it in the sermon, but I'm not going to be talking about Hans and Margaret Luther in the sermon, obviously. So um, this is a good place place for it. Uh, so the first thing I want to start off with with this "Where are we from?" question is 
the whole idea of of genealogy and the the idea of of where you're from and not just you but where uh, other people are from where our ideas are from uh, being important so uh, the enlightenment the mo- modern modern philosophy and humanism um, which is really the still the kind of dominant philosophy of our day and age even though it started back in the uh, you know 1500s or so humanism modernism whatever you want to call it enlightenment thinking will tell you that the source doesn't matter right that that um, you can be whoever you want to be despite where you came from uh, you can you get to make for yourself reality uh, so if you think about the first modern or enlightenment thinker rene descartes uh he said i think therefore i am which was a way to basically uh destroy the foundations of medieval thought which was based primarily in christianity uh and he said look the basis of knowledge is my rational thinking it's it's all within my own brain um nothing that came before me matters uh we get to rebuild everything from the, the start. And that's not a Christian way of thinking. Um, what is the first book of the Bible? Genesis. Genesis, right? What does that word mean? Beginning. Yeah, beginning. Where And it means your, your, what is someone's genesis? It's where they came from, right? So this is the genesis of creation. Where did creation come from? It came from God. And God is good, therefore this creation is by nature good. And in Genesis 3, we find out that Adam brings in sin into the world. And then that genesis of sin causes corruption in this good creation. right? And then you get uh, – fast forward all the way to like Romans 5 that uh, through – one man, sin came into the whole world. How does that work? Well, sin is passed down, right? Psalm 51, in sin did my mother conceive me. Sin, the corruption of sin, and what we confess every Sunday when we say I am by, excuse me, I am by nature sinful and unclean, that corruption of sin, that original sin that uh, we struggle with, that has a genesis, that has a root, it has a source, right? And what's the source? Adam, mm-hmm. right? We're all sons and daughters of Adam, and then we need the source to be fixed, right? And so Romans 5, just as sin came into the world through Adam, so righteousness came into the world through one man, Christ. So Christ becomes our new genesis. He becomes our new source, right? So the, the problem is uh, not something just kind of in and of ourselves, apart from any kind of source, uh, the problem is uh, that the root is bad, the source is bad, and then the source needs to be fixed. Um, so this is all over in the Bible. This is why, uh, you know, sometimes when people are talking about parts that get boring in the Bible, they'll talk about genealogies, and they're like, man, it's like hard to read through genealogies, which I get. But why are there so many genealogies in the Bible? 
Why does the very first book of the New Testament, Matthew, why does it start off with the genealogy of Jesus Christ? Because the idea of where things are from is important. And uh, you get this all throughout the Gospels too, right? Um, Jesus is the vine. We are the branches, right? Our life flows from his life. Uh, A good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. Uh, The source matters. Okay, so with that kind of theological abstraction out of the way, uh, back to Reformation history, where are we from as the Lutheran Church or the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod or as a church that has Lutheran on our sign, however you want to think about that? Uh, what is our what is our source? And I think when we look at the history of these things, it makes being Lutheran a little less weird. Um, so, sometimes I think that uh, – come on in. I, I think that um, it's it's hard sometimes to talk about what it means to be Lutheran or uh, like why why are you especially in the Bible Belt like why are you Lutheran as opposed to Baptist or Methodist or uh, even Presbyterian or something like why this like specific thing and why does that matter to you I think uh, can be almost a difficult question for us and we can talk about like justification by grace we can talk about kind of theological abstracts but um like why do we still have the name luther and then you always get this question like do you worship martin luther um you know and so uh obviously the answer to that is no but um if we just dive a little bit into the history and if other people would be willing to learn a little bit of the history you kind of realize like oh it's not that weird that this just that that these things happened, right? When you find out like why things happened historically and where you're from kind of genealogically, uh, both in the theology and in the history, then um, it becomes a lot less mysterious, if you will, right? So... Um, in fact, that's the answer I give. That is the answer I give. I tell people, I started studying church history. Yeah, right. And so I became Lutheran because I started understanding the truth of what church history. Yeah, right. Yeah. When you look at how church history develops, um, basically Lutheran becomes one of many different uh, potential, you know, outgrowths of Christianity throughout history. And basically you can say, look, I followed this path because this is the one that followed the Bible. Versus um, it's not that we – so kind of with like what I was saying about like humanism and uh, where the modern idea is that we're kind of completely separate from history and completely separate from any kind of genealogy. Um, I think what most people think today with like church shopping mentality is that I have all these options and then it's up to me to just kind of like pick one. Like they're all um, – they're all different kinds of, I don't know, tea on the shelf, right? You're shopping for a tea, and there's like the herbal berry teas, and then there's like the the medicinal teas, and then there's the, the black teas, and you just kind of like pick which one that suits your fancy that day. Um, this is more of the, the way I think to think about it is that Christianity has been passed down from the apostles – and there's different paths that people have gone down, 
and some of them have stuck to the scriptures and some of them haven't. And so we follow the one that stuck to the scriptures the most. Um, and that's how we ended up with Lutheranism tea instead of Baptist tea, right? Um, not We didn't just stand there and just pick one out at random. Uh, hopefully that make, makes sense. Um, okay, so let's start with Luther then. Um, change up markers because I've, I've waved this one around too much. It's dried out. Uh, Luther was born in uh, 14, no, yeah, 83, and died in 1546. Uh, so basically lived uh, his life between the 15th and 16th centuries, but the Reformation, of course, was more of the 16th century. Uh, he was born to uh, German German peasants, Hans and Margaret. I think there's an E on the end or something. Yeah. Um, and uh, they wanted him to kind of – he was obviously bright as a child, and they wanted him to um, have a better life than the peasant life. And so uh, they wanted him to study law. Uh, you've probably heard this story before. Um, and so he went to basically uh, to into a college system of sorts. It's a little bit different than our college systems. Um, but ended up getting very interested in theology, right? And so he he, be, he started studying theology, and um, you've probably also heard the story of when he was uh, traveling down the road on a horse, and uh, there was a lightning strike, and he fell off the horse, and he prayed um, to Saint Anne and devoted his life to become a uh, to the monastic life. He didn't. He never actually became a monk. Um, he became a friar, which was a kind of a lower level of um, monastic uh, um, at the time. So anyway, uh, but he became an Augustinian friar. Uh, so the the school there were different. There were a couple different uh, schools of monasticism at the time that followed different uh, orders, which were basically like handbooks for how you live your life. Um, and the Augustinian one was the one he chose as opposed to like a Benedictine one or something. Um, so uh, Augustin, he became an Augustinian friar and devoted his life to the study of, instead of law, uh, theology, uh, kind of disappointing his father, but it's okay because he went on to do other things, as you know. Uh, the context of Luther's life, as I already kind of alluded to, a little bit different than our day and age to today. So um, we had at the time the Holy Roman Empire, and the Holy Roman Empire is basically where Luther lived. Um, you know, we talk about Germany because it's modern day Germany, but uh, he lived in the Holy Roman Empire, which more or less comprised what is now modern day Germany. Um, the Holy Roman Empire was – you might know this uh, from world history way back when uh, – was basically started by Charlemagne in 800. And one of the um, – a number of kind of differences with our idea of like Western civilization today and then – so uh, 
obviously you can see a couple things in this name. Um, Roman Empire, uh, it was a monarchy, right? So um, when Charlemagne kind of established the Holy Roman Empire, the reason it was uh, this Roman Empire is because Charlemagne was king of the Romans. And the Romans peoples who were spread out throughout Western Europe there. And then it was holy because who crowned him king? The Pope. So uh, religion, state, um, the separation of church and state was not a clear line, um, kind of like it is today. At least not, I mean, it's not even a clear line today, but um, it was even less clear then, the separation of church and state. Um, they were pretty much one and the same. Uh, the Pope and the King were um, hand in hand, and uh, the church and the state were hand in hand, and the official religion of the empire was, I mean, it was the holy empire, right? It was So it was Roman Catholic. Um, and it was the Roman Empire. So it was Roman Catholic uh, Empire. And uh, these things went together from 800 to 1500 um, without really any questioning that everyone was Roman Catholic. Um, you just were. You, ev- Everyone was. There, was. there was no atheist. There was no uh, Methodist. There was, there, was, there was just Roman Catholics, right? The Eastern Orthodox were off in the East, and the, the Westerners were all... Uh, Roman Catholic. Um, you also had the uh, feudal system with the monarchy. So um, in the feudal system, of course, you have the peasants, you have the nobility, you have the clergy, you have these different classes of people. And there was some um, class mobility in – so like with Luther, right, he, they wanted him to go to law school and get move from being a peasant to a more noble class. Um, there was some class mobility, but there wasn't the idea that we have in America today of like free speech and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you can be whoever you want to be, right? That that was not um, kind of the big idea. The most people stayed within their classes and had this way of life, and the classes interacted in a certain way. You know, the landowners had the the servants and. Um, it it kind of was the way it was. Um, and anyway, you'll see – so the reason I bring some of this up is because when Luther begins uh, to call certain people out and do certain things, um, it's very politically incorrect, um, and it causes a lot of problems right? because he doesn't just call up his state representative and say, you know, this is what I think about this, this voting issue. Um, right, he doesn't get to go vote on it at a certain place. Uh, he he has to um, be politic, have political maneuvering and um, certain people on his side to be able to accomplish what he accomplishes. Um, because church and state, politics and religion, I mean, they're not really that separate. So um, we'll talk about this at, when we talk about like the 95 theses. But all right, so that's kind of. Um, Luther in a nutshell, and the the thing to think about here is that he is a real guy, real parents, real problems in his life, um, and in this place in history that he has to take care of. 
And he is also, with that, a Christian uh, who is called to faithfulness to God's word. And that's, that's something we're going to talk about in the sermon today, is that kind of no matter where you are in church history and in this life, there is a reformation that is needed for God's people in the church. And we'll talk about what that, that looks like. Any questions so far? Yes, Steve. Uh, you said that the Holy Roman Church started with, what was it? Charlemagne. Charlemagne, the Holy Roman Empire. Okay, yeah. But I know when we were in London several years ago, we were at a Lutheran church on Easter Sunday, and there was a big geological dig right outside the door, and they said, this is where the wall that the Romans built in the year three. So that was, what, beginnings of... Yeah, so the Roman Empire is much older than the Holy Roman Empire. The Holy Roman Empire um, is specifically talking about the empire that Charlemagne had control over, which, like I said, is basically modern-day Germany. Uh, It's not actually including um, the the old Rome, like uh, that that we think of when we think about like going to Rome. I mean, it does it does include some of that, but. when you're thinking about like the old Roman Empire, um, then right because you had the the basically the Rome that was four four divisions of the empire yeah and that was united under Constantine and then a couple generations later Rome falls to the Germans and then. Uh, just a couple of hundred years later, I think it's like in 700, the French King Pippin frees the Italian peninsula from the Lombards. And then he begins yeah, it gets really complicated. So that's why I didn't go into all of that <laughs> um, because it, it's a complicated history. But we're, we're talking about the, uh, the Holy Roman Empire is kind of the official name of this, these German states um, starting in about 800. And they go till about 1800. And then that's when modern-day Germany is formed, is in the 19th century. So um, that the Napoleonic Wars is when the they fall. So um, good, good thousand-year reign, you know. Um, but by the time after Luther, the um, it does start to split apart because you have the different areas become different religions, either. Catholic, Lutheran, or Calvin, uh, Calvinist. So you have different state religions depending on what the local Lord is. So, um, oh, one other important thing about this actually is that so you have the emperor, uh, which at the time of Luther is uh, Charles V, and then the emperor is chosen by electors, which are uh, geographical. Um, nobility that are kind of like um, so you have like the president and you have the governors right so the electors are kind of like that and the electors they elect the the new emperor Um, and Luther's elector in his territory is uh, Frederick um, yeah Frederick the Wise in Saxony. 
So um, those are important names to know when we get when we get there. Um, and then you have on top of that, you also have bishops um, and the pope, uh, which are kind of mirrored, you know, the same the same way. Um, and then you have lesser magistrates and nobility and all, all these things. So anyway, that uh, but th- those two names are important to know. All right, so um, that's Luther's life. I want to look at Luther's theology, theological development um, and how the Reformation started to take place kind of in his mind um, because that is basically where it started. So uh, as you can kind of tell from his life, he didn't really feel like he was getting what he needed. Um, he didn't – he tried – he was looking for peace with God. Um, that's why he became a friar. And instead of a lawyer, and he uh, in in the monastery, in the monastic life, uh, he could not find peace with God, he, and he felt like he could not live up to the expectations and escape his sins. So um, basically, with most monks, um, they will lie to themselves and tell themselves they're really fulfilling all the expectations when they're really not. But Luther was just too honest for that. He knew that when he was trying to do all these things um, that were required of him as a monk and try and live a sinless life, he simply couldn't do it. The more he read the scriptures, the more he realized how sinful he was, um, and he couldn't – he had a burdened conscience, right? Um, So do – Theological development here. So he had a he had a burdened conscience, and the first place he got some sort of relief for this was he would go to confession and absolution for hours and hours on end and try and think of every sin he ever committed. Um, I have a hard time imagining this. As a pastor, uh, due to um, the fact that I have very few appointments for <laughs> confession and absolution, uh, that I would just spend like you know half of my week hearing confessions. But um, his father confessor was a guy named Johann or John uh, Staupitz, and at one point uh, Staupitz got so fed up with uh, this this confession. Um, that he said, uh, well, a couple things. Uh, first, he was the first one to point Luther to outside of himself, uh, which what I think um, put Luther on the dev- on this kind of thought development to, to where eventually he ended up um, once he realized it in the scriptures. Uh, that Stalpit said, okay, just just stop, just trust in Christ. And look, look to Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Trust that he's forgiven them. Um, stop confessing all the sins. <laughs> so, uh, Because Stoppitz was just kind of fed up. Um, now Stoppitz kind of landed on something that was you know, very true there. Um, the other thing that uh, he did is then he sent Luther away, probably because he was fed up with it, uh, to Rome. Uh, no, uh, sorry. Well, he... he he did go to Rome at one point um, later, but uh, he sent Luther to Wittenberg, which, of course, you've probably heard mm-hmm. of Wittenberg before. So he sent Luther to Wittenberg um, because Luther was very bright. Everyone knew this uh, to be uh, a professor. 
Um, so at the college there. And he started teaching uh, Old Testament, um, mainly the Psalms, uh, was something that he read a lot and uh, taught. And um, he was also he also had to preach. He was the uh, the city the city church, um, basically the the city church preacher every week, um, and and pastor or priest, if you will. And um, this is uh, where Frederick the Wise comes in a little bit because Wittenberg is one of, of Frederick's territories. Okay. And um, so basically to fast forward, uh, he uh, starts to read the scriptures more and more as a professor. And um, he supposedly has this – this is, is not historically confirmed – but has this tap this tower moment um, in uh, about 1519. Uh, so we'll have to do a little bit of rewind here. My notes are a little bit out of order, but um, in 1519 um, he realizes this idea of faith alone. He's reading Romans uh, th- uh, chapter one verse 17: uh, "The just shall live by faith." And he realizes that it has nothing uh, – that that salvation and uh, life in Christ are not something that he can earn in of himself, but that he has to have faith in the work of Christ. Um, kind of like what Stoutwitz told him earlier, but uh, now he gets to realize it um, in this more full way. And, of course, that faith alone – um, now, one thing to say is that this is this is obviously developing throughout time. That's why I call it theological development. So it starts with Stoutbitz. He's reading the Psalms. He's reading the scriptures um, in 1517, which we'll talk about in a second. 95 Theses happens. This is a development that's going on. Um, but he realizes – he has this moment where he, he realizes that good works can't save, that – only faith alone saves. And then, of course, that faith alone um, leads him to understand some of these other alones as well, that um, if faith alone is true, that means the church isn't the ultimate authority. It means that scripture is the ultimate authority. Um, so scripture alone. And then um, if, if faith in Christ alone saves, how does Christ save? What do we have faith in, in in grace alone, right? So these are the three main solas of the Reformation or the three main themes of the Reformation. They're called solas because in Latin they're called uh, sola fide, sola scriptura, sola gratia. Um, faith alone, scripture alone, grace alone. So these are the main solas. So this is um, in the in the 1517 to 1519 – um, and and then uh, for the next you know ten years or so, this is really the big development of Luther's theology, right? Um, now to back up a little bit, uh, as this development is taking place, um, fifteen seventeen, which if you remember a couple years ago, uh, twenty seventeen, we had 
the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, uh, 1517 is when Luther posts the 95 Theses, and that's kind of when we date the Reformation. Now, I actually think um, that that's not the best date because well, – we'll talk, we'll talk in a little bit about what I think the best date is. But the 95 Theses really aren't – if you read them, they're not so much a theological document. Now, again, church and state are all mixed up, so they are because he's talking about the pope. But in some ways, they're more of a political uh, document. He posts – uh, these 95 theses on the church door at Wittenberg, which uh, was a pretty common thing to do. Theses are – what theses are are the um, propositions for a debate. So in a formal debate back in uh, Wittenberg University, what you would have is someone would put forward theses or propositions, and then uh, you would have a public debate – where two people would um, argue with formal logic based on these propositions. Um, and you could argue that the propositions were false, and therefore they didn't lead to the conclusion, or you could argue that these propositions were true, and then they therefore led to these certain conclusions. Um, so this was a very formal kind of political act to have a debate about these topics. And what the 95 Theses were about were um, that – Luther had taken a trip to Rome uh, to go do what um, he was supposed to do as a faithful monk, and he had seen the corruption in the Roman Catholic Church, um, mainly that they were uh, with with the idea of um, my mind just went blank. Uh, what did people buy? So Indulgence. Indulgences. Thank you. It was like a yeah, yeah, right. People could buy indulgences uh, to pay for the new church in Rome, and uh, these indulgences would give you time out of purgatory, or they, you know, to put it very simplistically, they were kind of tickets into heaven, right? Uh, that's not exactly how they worked, but basically they were blessings that you could that people would hand out. So it's very, very much Joel Osteen, right? <laughs> you could, uh, if you do the right thing, pay pay me the money, then I'll get I'll make sure you get some some kind of uh, blessing. Right. Um, and so this is the uh, he writes the 95 Theses kind of in reaction to that, uh, that um, and it, it does include a little bit of these themes that he later comes to. Uh, but basically, he's more like, you know, we should be focusing on um, the spiritual health, uh, focusing more on the scriptures uh, and, and the preaching and the comfort of the people rather than uh, trying to make ourselves a lot of money. Um, so it's more of a political document. Now, again, remember, uh, Luther in this kind of feudal monarchical system, which is very much top-down, um, this is going to cause problems, right? This is uh, kind of a revolting um, act on, on his part. Where are we out on time? Yeah, this is going to take two weeks. <laughs> so... Um, after he posts the 95 Theses and – let's see here. Let, oh, well, let's uh, – we'll get back to the, the history in a second. Well, so that that's 95 Theses um, kind of as it relates to the, the LG. The theological development uh, does continue. 
So after 1519, um, well, in also, so after this tower experience in 1519, he also writes uh, these theological treatises. One is the freedom of a Christian, which describes uh, the life of a Christian in terms of freedom. He says in there that there's basically a paradox that the Christian is the most free of all because of the gospel. And yet, um, because of the gospel, because we are free from the condemnation of sin, we then seek to become servants to, to Christ and, and to do good works. And so um, he, in the freedom of the Christian, kind of outlines uh, this paradox that the Christian is the most free of all. And then is also servant of all. And then um, he also writes the Babylonian captivity of the church, which to connect it to what we've been doing in church history or in um, Bible history. Rather, uh, in the Babylonian captivity of the church, he basically says that the modern day at, at his time, the modern day Roman Catholic Church, the late medieval Roman Catholic Church has been uh, taken captive by idols um and he talks about the seven sacraments of the roman catholic church so uh in the same way that is that judah was taken captive by babylon um and given to false idols that's what's happened in our church today and we need to return from captivity we need to go back to to faithfulness to god um so he writes those two things in 1519 that's a big uh, big moment, or 1519 and 1520. Babylonian captivity is 1519. Freedom of a Christian is 1520. Okay. Um, all right. So what happens because of all this politically is that Charles V, the emperor, uh, summons uh, – so the, the pope is obviously very upset. The Roman Catholic Church is very upset, and because of this – Church and state being one thing and uh, the cohesion that needs to exist in the Holy Roman Empire for them to continue to be an empire. Uh, Charles V says, we got to take care of this guy. And he summons uh, the Diet of Worms. So diet is uh, basically a trial. Um, and, you know, the, the, the joke for the kids and everything is it's the Diet of Worms. Right. So it's not when they got together and they started to eat, you know, <laughs> night crawlers. Um, but it's the the diet of worms, if you want to pronounce it like a German and that then doesn't sound so weird. Uh, but at the diet of worms, um, Charles V says, we got to take care of this issue. And they they uh, ask Luther to basically recant everything he said. And this is when you get the famous uh, statement. I'll read the whole statement here. Um, Unless I am convinced by the testimony of scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust in either the pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by the scriptures, and I have quoted, and my conscience by the scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not. Retract anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. I cannot do otherwise. Here I stand. May God help me. Amen. So, a uh, very powerful statement, of course, right? And um, the most famous Luther biography is 
uh, by a guy named Roland Baton, and it's called Here I Stand. So you've, you've probably heard that phrase before, Here I Stand, I Can Do No Other. Um, comes from this quote. Well, Luther is then excommunicated as a heretic, and he's ordered to be taken into custody, but his elector, Charles V, prevents that. So um, this kind of lo- more local magistrate has the power to keep that from happening, um, and uh, he protects him and then uh, takes him to a place called Wartburg, where he stays in this uh, Wartburg castle, and that's where Luther's going to translate the Bible. So, um, but notice it, uh, the most important thing to notice here is that they kicked him out. Okay, Luther did not want to be kicked out. Luther wanted to reform. Right? He wanted uh, the Roman Catholic Church to adjust, if you will, back to the scriptures. Uh, he didn't want destruction. He didn't want to tear everything down. Right? He didn't want some massive revolt. He wanted God's people to uh, bring themselves back to the scriptures. And uh, to not trust in the Pope or in councils, like he said, but to trust in the scriptures alone. He didn't want to destroy everything. Um, But they kicked him out. And so this is why, like we were talking about, about kind of following the path of church history, um, we never left the Catholic Church. So like I've talked about before, that, that word in the creed, when we say, I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. The word Christian there is actually Catholic. We changed it so it wouldn't be too confusing for visitors. Um, Maybe that was a mistake. I don't know. But um, the word Catholic means universal, which is referencing that there is one faith, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, that uh, any true Christian of any time, of any place, has had the same Christian faith, the same Catholic faith, universal faith. And I think it is completely right in this sense then to say, look, when you follow church history, Lutherans really are the real Catholics. We're the real – we're the church that held uh, to the Catholic faith. Um, Not to say – and that's not to say – We're talking about church bodies, not individual Christians. So it's not to say that there aren't real Christians outside of the Lutheran church. Of course there are. Um, Luther himself actually fought against that idea in the Roman Catholic Church that there weren't other Christians outside of the Roman Catholic Church. Um, He was specifically talking about the Eastern Orthodox, that there's real Christians in the Eastern Orthodox Church, which the Roman Catholics denied at the time anyway. Um, But when you follow church history and you say, okay, what's what's the church body? that held to the scriptures um, that that was the true Catholic church in the sense of universal, um, it would be the Lutheran church at this time, right? They Again, they kicked him out. We didn't want to leave. So um, they, in, in a sense, the Roman Catholic church excluded themselves from their Catholicity, if that makes sense. All right, well, we'll, uh, we'll leave it there. Yeah, Steve? At, uh, when they wrote the 95 Thesis, it was just to the elites, right? Because it was written in Latin? 
Yeah, it would have been written in Latin um, as it was a formal debate, um, which was – so German was the common language. Latin was the academic language, and um, yeah, it was was for formal debate. So it wasn't – yeah, it wasn't to the nobilities yet. So we'll we'll get to – or to – did I say nobilities? It wasn't to the people yet. Um, It it was to the academics, and – when he translates the Bible into German, that's a big deal, uh, which happens at the Wartburg Castle. So we'll, we'll, we'll finish this up next week um, and, and talk about kind of what it means for us. Yes, Steve? Was it uh, Frederick the Wise that protected Luther? Um, yeah. Okay, you mentioned that it was Charles. Oh, sorry. No, Charles V uh, was after Luther. He, was, he wanted to get rid of him. Frederick the Wise is the one who protected him. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. All right. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the blessings that you have bestowed upon us through church history, um, that we would have this uh, great theology of Scripture alone through the work of the Reformers and the 16th century. Uh, we pray that you would continue to preserve your word throughout time and history. Uh, that you would give us the strength uh, to make good confession of your son's name. And we pray that you would bless our uh, worship together today in spirit and in truth. We pray this through your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.